What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today is my favorite, a Friday Q&A. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Time to answer some great questions, and there is a bunch of questions that I got loaded up with this week, so I'm super pumped to answer them. If you are not following me on Instagram yet, go follow me at Cody.BoomBoom because that is where I answer the majority of questions. That's where I'm at mostly um, as far as social media platforms go. I deliver a ton of free content. I'm helping people every single day and I am one of those people who actually responds to DMs. Yes, I really do respond. So if you ever have anything you want to ask me, if you ever have anything to shout out, if you want to just tell me something random, if you want to tell me you hate the podcast, which I hope to God you won't, but if you do, I like honesty, so shoot me a DM, and I am more than happy to conversate with you guys. So, without any further ado or rambling from yours truly, Cody Boom Boom McBroom, let's get on to the Q&A. Before we get into the questions... Something just popped up in my mind because I'm doing it right now, and I want to share with you guys a quick productivity hack that is more simple than anything you could possibly imagine, but will literally create so much more productivity into your time block or your day or whatever it may be. When you have something important to get done and you need to dial in your work, wait for it, turn your Wi-Fi off. Yeah, that is it. It's that simple, literally. What I'm doing right now is I'm on a podcast and I turn off Wi-Fi. Otherwise, I will see text messages. I will see things linked from my phone to my computer because they're both Apple products. I will see Facebook notifications, alarms in my Google Calendar. I'll see all that shit. But I know right now the most important thing for me to get done is this podcast. I want to be completely present in this microphone talking to you guys, spitting information, giving you as much quality content as I possibly can. And the only way I can do that is if I eliminate all other distractions. So I turn the Wi-Fi off and I get right to the Q&A. But first I tell you guys about how I'm about to get right to the Q&A without getting distracted. But you get the point. Turn your Wi-Fi off, goddammit, guys. It'll help you so much. Productivity Hack 101. Now, let's get on to the question. So this question comes from Christina Funmi from Facebook. She said, so here's the deal. I love the way she starts that. So here's the deal. Two years ago, I decided to go all in and finally work towards getting a flatter tummy and leaning out, which I did achieve last year. However, what I have come to realize is I can build my upper body muscles much quicker, minus my lower abs, than my lower body. I am on a reverse diet at the moment. She said, (laughs) I am on a reverse diet ATM. Some of these abbreviations, um, just one of my clients, what did Gigi, if you're listening to this, you emailed me the other day. One of my clients, she emailed me and said, oh, my God, what was it? For the record, was it FTR? No, it wasn't that. She, she sent me some kind of abbreviation. I was so lost. I was almost lost at ATM, too, but I had to think about it. So I am on a reverse diet at the moment, and I am getting towards the end of it. It's been going on since January. And I intend to start leaning out again. However, I don't really want to build any more upper body muscles. I hate the veiny look on my arms. So what do I do? I still want a nice flat tummy too. And then somebody actually commented below and said, I second this. My upper body development is like volume 10 while my lower volume is volume 5. My lower is volume 5. So here's the deal. This could come down to a, a few things. Sometimes there is, there, there's the opportunity where or the chance that 
some people are just genetically gifted in certain areas compared to others. Um, I, I've used Theo as an example of this a bunch of times because I used to train with him so often is that dude is – his lats are genetically gifted. Like that dude grew fucking wings after doing his first pull-up. Like it's insane. So for him, he doesn't need to do as much volume on his lats and he can still maintain them. So when we look at maximal recoverable volume, which is a key indicator of how much volume we should do on a specific muscle group, which is an important part of how I program design for clients, we look at the the – body parts that maintain more easily and the body parts that don't maintain so easily. So if your upper body is one of them and your lower body is not, then that means we simply need to shift our volume to doing a little bit more on the lower body and a little bit less on the upper body because we want to maintain the upper body while we enhance the lower body. So it's pretty simple. Now, there is the other case where some people are I've had people who are training with me or me training before me for years and they've always done a lot of legs, not that much upper body. And then they start training with me and because they were at a plateau, they weren't growing anywhere, and all of a sudden, their upper body develops extremely quick and very, in, an, in a very good way. They build muscle, they lean out, they can see more definition of upper body, but their lower body is not. Part of that reason is because they were doing the same thing for so long that their volume, their frequency, intensity, nothing changed. The only thing that changed going into the new program was more upper body. So we have to either A, increase upper and lower, and just make sure that our nervous system can handle it because we got to be careful with this stuff, guys. If, if you are somebody who wants to continue growing on both ends, upper and lower, and you just add a ton of volume, you're going to get smoked. So it's important to look at what body parts stay relatively um, developed and then work on the other ones. Or to be honest with you, I mean, it's kind of vain, but if you don't care about it, like if, if you're like somebody who's like, I really just don't give a shit about like as a guy, like, and this is, this is, <laughs> this is like the worst thing I could say because it's all over memes. I was going to say, if you're a guy and you just don't give a shit about your quads because you always wear shorts, then train your upper body more. And I know it's funny to say, oh, guys, skip leg days. But let's be real. Like, if you're going to spend, if you have four days to spend in the gym and that's all you have, and you really want to get a bigger chest and you could give a shit about how big your glutes are, well, then just do a little bit of glutes to make sure that you're maintaining it and focus more of your, your priority on the chest, no matter how many freaking manslaughtering memes are out there about not training your legs because at the end of the day you want a bigger chest so I think it's important to divvy up your your volume accordingly now if your upper body is really improving that fast I mean which is I, I find rare uh, with a female because you don't have the hormones to grow muscle very very rapidly um, I'm going to assume that you could just keep your upper body where it's at and just maintain what I would do is literally add 10 minutes of lower body volume to those upper body days. So let's say you're doing an upper lower split. So you already have two lower body days. You have two upper body days. We'll simply add, if, you're, if your goal is glutes, hip thrust. If your goal is hamstrings, maybe some uh, leg curls, some glute ham raises, some Nordic curls. Um, if your goal is quads, then maybe some squats, some split squats, some lunges. And simply add 10 minutes of volume. So that could be four sets on both of those days. Whether you do a superset, so you're doing two leg exercises on each of those days or one, it doesn't matter. The point is, is you're increasing your total volume for the week because you are doing more rep sets and technically weight, but also you're increasing the frequency. And that's the big kicker here is like if, if as a natural lifter, if you're stuck at a body part and your body part is not developing and your muscle is not growing in a certain area, the best thing you can do is increase frequency because that's probably the biggest factor that you're actually missing. So when we look at it, we think, 
if you're training a muscle group twice a week, which is already optimal, the only thing you can do is add a third day, add a fourth day, and you're going to get a little bit more frequency. The issue with adding more volume to the workouts you're already doing is that they become longer and more intense on the nervous system because they're all in one bunch in one day. So if you don't want to spend more time on the, on in those training sessions, so if you're already there for an hour, you don't want to spend an hour and a half there because you're adding more leg volume, and you want to make sure that you're keeping up with your hormonal and your nervous system recovery, then it probably would be would it would probably be best, probably <laughs> it would probably be best, you got to be able to make fun of yourself, guys. It would probably be best if you added a little bit of frequency. So you just added a third day or a fourth day of a little bit of training. So it's the same thing with me. So for me, I do this with my upper back, arms, and chest, actually. And partly I do this because it's part of my morning routine to move. But I pick those three exercises. Um, I'm already doing two days a week where I'm doing heavy legs. And I don't really feel like doing more legs. So in the mornings, I do 10 bolt, uh, band pull-aparts, 10 push-ups, and 10 band curls. And I do that for three rounds as fast as I can, all with very slow tempos focused on getting a pump. It's only three sets. It's not enough to hurt my nervous system, but it's adding frequency to those muscle parts, kind of like a trigger session, which some of you guys have probably heard of, which basically is just sending an anabolic signal for those muscle parts to grow. So what you could do is you could wake up and do 10 squats, 10 glute bridges, three rounds as fast as you can every single morning. You're going to send a signal to your legs to grow. Or you could finish your upper body days by adding 10 minutes of glutes, 10 minutes of quads, 10 minutes of hamstrings, whatever your goal is. But the point is, is we're increasing frequency. So back to the main question, I think the big thing with making sure that everything is kind of evening out is just really going to be adding volume, like just adding a little bit of volume to those body parts that are not growing as fast on those other days, on the upper body days. It's very, very simple. It doesn't need to be super complicated. And I don't think you need to uh, lower the amount of volume you do on your upper body because you need that volume in order to stay um, on top of uh, where they're at, maintaining it, essentially. All right, next question is Andrew Joseph from Facebook. Training for performance and aesthetics simultaneously. Is it possible? And if so, how do you do it? And then I had another person comment. So these are comments from the Facebook group. So everybody in this group has purchased functional muscle and that's why they're in the group. So if you want a chance to get inside the private Facebook forum and have guidance from not only me, but hundreds of other people who are also running this training program, doing the exact same type of things as you on their fitness journey, their nutrition journey, you can get the link to download and purchase functional muscle in the description now. Click that, get the book. You can start following. There's links to get into the private Facebook group. And then once you're in there, you can ask me any single question you want. So Courtney Sturgeon commented on his comment and said this with a finger pointing up emoji. So I'm assuming she agrees with that question. <laughs> when doing something like your program, Functional Muscle, can I train for performance but also want to see my abs? I know abs is nutrition and what's done in the kitchen mostly though. But I don't want to go into a calorie deficit. So I think – so a couple things with this. First, let's answer Andrew Joseph's question of training for performance and aesthetics simultaneously. Simultaneously, Is it possible? And if so, how do you do it? Um, absolutely, it's possible. So my – and it kind of depends where you're at. So in a perfect world, what I would suggest somebody like that is to focus on being either at, at, at least maintenance, if not a little bit of a caloric surplus. So you can just focus on building muscle for a solid amount of time, you know, up to six months where you're literally, you're training like an athlete, quote unquote, and like a bodybuilder simultaneously. And, and I'm just going to give a little hint 
that my next program coming out is going to be able to accomplish this. Like, let's just say that. And that's kind of what I had in mind with it. Uh, but basically what you want to think about is you want to be able to build strength and muscle because when you build strength, power, um, explosive movement patterns, so you're sprinting, you're throwing, um, you're doing like a dumbbell snatch, you're doing jamball slams, throws, box jumps, broad jumps, sprints, things like that, you're building explosive uh, muscle fibers, right? And those are dense muscle fibers. Now, there's some science that needs to be done on this, but for most people, if you just listen to like classic coaches just talking, like that's how you build a dense physique, and that's why a lot of athletes look the way they look. They do a lot of explosive work. They have a lot of those type of muscle fibers. So if you can focus on explosive training and just brute strength for a while while being in a caloric surplus and just maybe having like your finishers as pump work so you're still getting that high rep training in, you're going to be able to build a solid base of muscle. Now, if you already have muscle like that, uh, then you can skip the part of needing to get there. But that's my first step. Now, the next step would be to continue training that way, but maybe just lower volume a little bit. That way you're not going into a crazy uh, like recovery debt, I guess you could call it, where you're just not recovering enough while you go either towards maintenance or a caloric deficit through cardio. And the reason I say through cardio is because if somebody – I personally believe that if somebody is looking to achieve an athletic body, they have a good baseline of muscle and they're already somewhat lean, um, lean enough, then we can create that fat loss that they need in order to look fully like an athlete by removing one of the lifting days. So maybe you're only lifting three, four days a week at most. And then the other days are spent doing things like hill sprints or cone drills or agility-based stuff where you're actually conditioning like an athlete. Now, your nutrition should be at maintenance because you want to be able to perform explosively. You want to be able to maintain your strength, and you want to be able to maintain your muscle, right? And you need to eat enough, period. But it also gives you enough room to get really, really good whole foods, which would be my next suggestion. If you're looking to do that and you're trying to get really lean while being around a caloric maintenance, I would probably suggest that you're eating a very, very clean diet for 80 to 90%. And that doesn't necessarily mean necessarily mean paleo. Because, I mean, some, like, for example, I eat gluten-free oats almost every day, and they sit very well with me. I never have an issue. I'm good. It's not paleo, right? So just eating clean. And I would suggest that. But I absolutely do think it's – I think it's absolutely uh, possible. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, aesthetics comes mostly from nutrition, and performance comes mostly from training. So you can train for performance and then eat for aesthetics, to, to t- do everything I just said and make it way less specific and just way more simplified, train for performance, eat for your aesthetics. Very, very simple, and that's why a lot of athletes look the way they look. They do exactly that. And I probably would re- recommend some uh, workout nutrition because if you're trying to lose fat and get lean at all and you expect to keep performance at its highest or increase – then you're going to really want to look at um, intra-workout shakes or where you're sipping on carbs and BCAs during your workout or post-workout to mitigate the cortisol response. You're taking creatine, maybe some BCAs, like I said, vitamin D, fish oil, magnesium, zinc, things like that. Like They do play a role when you get that specific. So as far as Courtney's question, um, she wants to see your abs. It absolutely is nutrition to see them. Now, the difference is, is going back to how you would train, you would literally just add more ab training in there. Now, if you look at functional muscle, there is a good amount of ab work in there, um, whether you realize it or not, because there's a lot of functional movement patterns that require a very strong core just to be able to do the form properly. So if you're doing functional muscle with the right exercises that are listed and you're doing them with the right form, your core is firing nonstop throughout the whole entire program because they're so 
core demanding. They're functional movement patterns, and, and they're designed to ignite your core without it. There's also even some weighted sit-ups, some cable crunches, some hanging knee raises, some hollow holds. There's a lot of functional ab exercises inside the the muscle or the functional muscle program as well. But if you still want to develop your abs, it comes down to just like any any muscle. If I wanted to, to if I had to grow my biceps by an inch in the next three months, I would not follow a program training my arms once or twice a week. I would be doing curls every single day. Get what I'm saying? So basically, you need to increase your frequency while you're training your abs if you want to enhance the way your abs look. Because we can burn the fat, but let's say, because I'm a good example of this. I got really lean for my, my physique show, um, and I don't really have any pictures. Um, I mean, actually, there's pictures on my... Uh, story highlight on Instagram, but I got really, really lean. I mean, like, I mean, bodybuilder lean, right? Like thin skin, everything. And you could see my abs, but they weren't popping out like some of these guys. And the reason why is I never did direct ab training. I never did. The only direct ab training I ever did was carries. Now I still had a strong core, but I didn't have a super hypertrophied core. So, and the difference with this is simple. Like for a guy, let's say you get to 8% 8% and you can see your abs really, really well. They're popping out. Well, if you had big hypertrophied abs that you had trained for hypertrophy three to four times a week, doing different rep ranges, different intensities, different styles of training, different variations, and you grew your ab muscles, you could probably see those abs just as well at 10% body fat because you've hypertrophied them. So it takes less body fat removed to see them. So I hope that makes sense. But basically what I would suggest, Courtney, is just, just diving into a little bit extra ab training. So going back to the original question about bringing your legs up, same exact thing with your abs, just add a little bit of ab training in there. Um, Carrie from Facebook, when is it necessary for someone to use a weightlifting belt? It seems like someone with a weak core and lower back issues, like myself, would want to use one. Ultimately, it would be great if I didn't, as I don't want my core or back to rely on it. My chiropractor had initially suggested anything over 100 pounds, but also don't want to look like the, that goober at the gym who doesn't need it. <laughs> uh, we got another person that said, I'm curious about this too. I see very fit people wear belts too that I follow on IG when they are lifting very heavy for deadlifts, squats, or RDLs, going for a new PR, or doing high reps with a relatively heavy weight. Great question. Following. Damn, though, there's a lot of people that want to know about a belt. belt. I have like a bunch of comments, but I can't view them because I'm not on Wi-Fi. So... Because I'm on that productive shit, guys. Come on. All right. So basically, here's the deal. First and foremost, you are not going to look like a goober by wearing a belt unless you were at a cable machine doing triceps, tricep extensions wearing a weightlifting belt. And I know some of you guys see that shit at LA Fitness or 24 or wherever you go. That is the only way you are going to look like a goober. So stay away from the cable machine if you got a belt on. That's my only advice. Now, as far as when you should wear a belt, um, so when you said my chiropractor suggested anything over 100 pounds, now, that's relative, right? For me, I don't need a belt at 100 pounds. For you, you might. I don't, like, everybody's a different size. Everybody lifts different strength. So I think the amount that you need it depends. Now, I will say that, I, okay, for example, for a deadlift, I don't start warming up with anything less than 135 pounds. I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there that get this. You throw 45s on the bar, and that's where you start, right? All the way up until you get to 300, 400, whatever you're going to. I will wear my belt on that first warm-up set because why not? I want to get my body used to wearing it. I'm not going to go without it and then throw it on when I get to 350. 
so – and here's the deal. I will even wear it when I don't have low back issues because I haven't had low back issues in a long time because I've worked on breathing and mobility and all the things you need to work on in order to remove the back pain. So there's a couple ways to look at this. If you are wearing a belt because you have low back pain, then you need to address the issue that is causing the low back pain, not throw a Band-Aid on top of the low back pain to cover it up, to ignore it, to forget about it. Right, So a lot of people continuously wear a belt when in reality is they need to work on some mobility, some soft tissue work, probably some diaphragmatic breathing and just remove the back pain, period, first. So I have a, cl- I have a good example of this. I have a client right now who's going through some back pain um, who just started with me. So normally the program we are running has uh, – I mean just like most programs I, I create because the compounds are so important. It has a variation of the deadlift, the squat, the bench press, and the overhead press. Um, and I know there's no rows in there, guys. There's plenty of rows in the program. Trust me. But what, with her low back pain, I changed it. So even though we were doing a percentage-based kind of like five-three-one, but it's a very it's different. It's a, my own version of it because I think this is a little bit safer on people. Um, the way I program percentage out uh, the reps out, but she's doing hip thrusts instead of deadlifts because the deadlift is a hip hinge. So we still need to create that hip hinge function, that movement pattern. But I don't want her doing a deadlift because when she pulls from the floor is when she gets hurt, right? So we switched that and we did a, a hip thrust. Now, we're going to come back to, to deadlifts. But right now, we want to address the problem, which is probably going to be core and glute and hip mobility. So now we're working on those. We're also going to work on ankle and thoracic mobility because that low back pain could be stemming from her squat pattern. You never know. But typically, we got to look at the issue causing it, right? Let's do some ankle mobility. Let's do some hip mobility. Let's do some knee stability stuff. Let's do some balance cues. Let's do some core building. Let's do some neurological patterns. Like, let's focus on some creating tension in our movements. Let's focus on the problem at hand, not throwing a Band-Aid on it. So if you're the person that has low back pain and you're throwing a belt on because of that, fix the issue first. Now, if you don't have low back pain and you're like me, but you still wear a belt, the reason for that should be for breathing cues. And that's exactly why I use it. A lot of people don't understand how to diaphragmatically breathe through their lower abdominals, especially when they're lifting because it's hard to focus on breathing, keeping your spine neutral, keeping your neck neutral, driving through the floor, ripping the floor, crushing the bar, shoulders packed. So there's so much shit going on. So for me, I like an external cue. And it's a lot easier to practice diaphragmatic breathing or breathing through your lower belly when you have something touching your lower belly. So even if I have clients laying on the floor doing diaphragmatic breathing, I will kind of poke their lower abdomens and get them to fill up air lower because they can, they can get that external cue from my finger and it helps them expand the lower part of their abdominals. So for me, when I'm lifting, I like to wear a belt because it gives me that external cue. I can breathe into the belt, brace, and then rip the floor and then drive through. So I think, the, the, I think it's necessary for someone to use a belt when they don't know how to breathe properly or they just enjoy having that external cue. Like me, I know how to breathe. My back doesn't hurt, but I love wearing a belt because it reminds me and it keeps my breathing on more on point. And because of that, I'm less likely to forget how to breathe properly while lifting a heavy load and hurt my back. That's kind of my two cents on the, on the weight belt. Um, but at the same time, like if your low back is hurt right now and you're still doing workouts, I, I don't suggest not wearing it. So by all means, keep wearing it. But the point is, is just know that you need to address the cause, uh, the initial thing that's actually bugging your back in the first place. Sarah Pringle says from Facebook, improving form slash correcting form. What's the best way to do this? I watch videos and read information about lifts, but while I'm doing the movements, I wonder if I'm doing it 100% correct. In creeps self-doubt. 
I only have the ability to video certain movements so I can fix issues, but what about everything else? Um, you know, it, it really, like, I hate to give you this blunt of an answer or this, like, just plain answer, but it just, it's experience. Plain and simple. I had a question from somebody the other day that said, um, what is the, uh, like, how do I learn? Do you have any book recommendations for ways to learn how to cue exercises better for my clients? Um, because one of my, it's one of my clients who's a coach as well. And I actually said, no, I said, the best thing to do is really to go to seminars, go to workshops, work with other trainers, practice throwing out different cues and seeing what sticks. It just depends, right? I mean, there's certain cues that I've created over time for like pulling the ribcage down, for example, that I never would have really thought of, but it worked at the time. And because of that, it clicked with that person, right? I threw out this cue that made sense in my mind. And as soon as I said it, I could kind of see the light bulb go off or the light switch go on in their head and then their form got better. And because of that, I was like, okay, this is a cue I'm going to use. So just consider throwing out random cues. And when you do, write them down and use them again. Um, but for yourself, I mean, it really comes down to continue watching videos, um, film yourself and film videos. You know what I mean? And then, I mean, sorry, film yourself and watch videos because then what you can do is you can go, okay, this person in this video is recommending that I focus on this, this, and this. And my shin angle should be like this when I squat. My spine angle should be like this when I squat. I need to sit in my hips like this. I can let my knees glide forward this much. Okay. Am I doing that? No. Okay. That's what I'm going to focus on. Right. So just kind of trial and error over and over again, reading books like the supple leopard and movement thing in like things on movement is always going to help. Um, Dr. Quinn, uh, it's like Hotch or something like that. I can't remember. He's from Juggernaut Training. He's really good about movement and how to squat better, how to get ankle mobility, all those things. But basically, like my, my advice is just to keep filming yourself, keep watching other videos and reading information from people who are putting out good information. Um, there's somebody like the – maybe it's the Muscle Doc or something like that. He's really big into that stuff, I think, because he's like a PT, but he's like jacked. And then, honestly, in my opinion, learning how to use – the my muscle connection to your benefit because if you know like that's one thing you can read and study when i do a squat i should feel stretch in my quads i should be maybe sore in my glutes if i'm breaking parallel blah 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 but if you're not then either a you're not going heavy enough for your own you know personal rpe or auto regulation or you're not targeting the right muscles. So maybe you need to learn how to target those muscles a little bit better, focus on slowing it down, focus on igniting the muscles that you're working and associate those movement patterns with the muscle groups intended for them. Um, when you can do that, then all of a sudden you start to, obviously you feel better about what you're training because you just see more benefits, right? You, When you feel a muscle working, you feel like you're doing it right. That's always a plus. Um, but I definitely think that it just comes down to like body awareness and just, just time, right? Everybody moves different too, so... Like your squat is going to look different than mine and that doesn't mean your squat's wrong or my squat's wrong. It just means that we're different. We have different mechanics. We have different limb lengths. We're different bodies. Simple, right? Different center of gravity. So I would just focus on filming yourself, continually watching other people do it, continue watching other coaches and studying other coaches and you're only going to grow if you just keep striving to learn more and more. All right. Emily Black, when following a training program, functional muscle to be exact, with a goal of fat loss, when is it necessary to add cardio? Better yet, is cardio ever truly necessary with a good amount of knee and strength training? I lift Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday with the weekends as my rest days. I'm wondering whether I should use Wednesdays as a rest day or if I should incorporate some type of HIIT style cardio. What do you think? So I think it depends. If you have an ungodly amount of meat, 
then I wouldn't worry about it. Um, or if you have, if your goal is fat loss, and I, I usually suggest cardio um, for a couple of reasons. One, if you're only training four days a week, which you are if you're following functional muscle, um, and in your case, because you are a nutrition client of mine, and I know we are actually working calories up right now, we would want to enhance fat loss possibly through cardio versus calorie deficit because that's not an option. And by the way we're going, I have a feeling that that's going to be the goal or the result anyway because I think your body needed us to add calories. So I don't think – I mean it comes down to an independent answer as always, right? But um, – when we incorporate some kind of cardio and conditioning, it's going to, I mean, obviously there's cardiovascular and health benefits for our heart when we do cardio, but also it's going to improve your lifting. So if you have better endurance, you have better uh, metabolic capacity, you have a better cardiovascular system, you will strength train better, period, because you're, everything about your oxygen intake, your endurance, your aerobic capacity, all that stuff improves. That is going to translate to strength training and lifting heavy or lifting in high reps, which are both included in the functional muscle program. So... For you, I would absolutely suggest doing some kind of cardio. I usually tend to blend a bit of uh, list and hit because I think that if you're doing a very high-intensity strength training program and then you throw in a bunch of high-intensity interval training for cardio, you're just overdoing that type of metabolic stimulus and it's going gonna, it's gonna to fry your nervous system eventually. So my advice would actually be to – to probably do a blend of both and just to listen to your body. If you go into the gym and you feel like you can do hit, then do some hit. If you if you feel like you're pretty fatigued from the training program, do some list. I, I think strength training is just the most important thing that you can possibly do and I'll stand by that forever um, and it's always what provides the best results to clients. So I would highly suggest that your main priority is lifting heavier, lifting more efficiently and just getting better at the functional mus muscle foundational strength days and then when you are on your off day, if you have some juice in left and you go for it on the hit. But the big thing we got to remember too here is that we want to do the minimal effective dose. And I just talked about this on my Instagram story yesterday um, or the day before. And basically when we look at this, like if you add in – so like let's say we just started. You added nutrition, functional muscle, and cardio, and you're doing neat. Like that's four elements. And let's say in two months you plateau. Now we don't have any tools to throw out there. So if you just added training and nutrition and you feel really good and we're going towards the right goal, I would say let's let's wait a little bit, right? Let's wait. If your needs already average, don't like push it, but just leave it as it is and just keep tracking it so when we do want to add it, we can increase it. But then we get a month down the road and we go, okay, we've plateaued a little bit. What can we add in that is the most easy thing for you to adhere to long term? And you say neat. I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to add 2,000 steps a day to what you're already doing, which is going to make 10,000. So we're getting 10,000 steps a day. That's your cardio. That's your neat. That's all we're going to add, right? And then two months go by and you plateau again. Okay, cool. Well, we're still only training four days a week. So let's add a conditioning day. So we'll go five days a week. And then we wait a month. You plateau again. We add another day. So now instead of doing it out the gates, we've waited six months before we've really added neat cardio, conditioning, all these different things. And it makes sense, right? So I always just recommend the minimal effective dose, being patient with how you utilize the tools and strategies that we have in our tool belt because they will all come in handy at some point in time, and it's important to save those for when you need it. Um, but I would say, like, too, to answer your question exactly, is cardio ever truly necessary with a good amount of need and strength training? No, it's not because if we can achieve fat loss through nutrition and strength training, period – Cardio is there to improve health, to improve your strength training, and to get lean without having to touch nutrition. So it really just depends, right? So it, it, cardio is very, very dependent. I don't think it's completely needed. All right, so we got a question from Instagram as well. And this one is from uh, – I'm going to pronounce this extremely wrong. 
Neha.perzada. So it's N-E-H-A. Neha. Neha. Maybe it's Nia. She has really good questions usually. How do you get rid of that stubborn belly fat that just never budge? That will just never budge, even after mindful calor calories restriction and incorporating hit. So usually if you have that stubborn body fat, it's, it's always one of two cases. One, you just weren't consistent for long enough or two, it's a hormonal thing. So – and this is typically what I see, right? So um, we'll get lean. We'll spend you know three months dieting and your arms are shredded. You're, you can see your top abs great. Your legs look lean. Your face is lean. You kind of feel like you only have like one or two pounds to lose and it's right in that low belly fat and you stop. Right, because you're frustrated. You've already been doing this for three months. You got as lean as you got, and now you just have that last little bit. You're kind of frustrated and pissed off, so you just stop. So what I would say to those people is if you were to keep pushing for another two months, you would probably see that low belly fat starting to lose. So stubborn fat is just – it's the, it's exactly what it is. It's stubborn body fat. It takes the longest to shift or change. It's just like if somebody is – like think of the definition of stubborn. I am a stubborn motherfucker. And if you try to convince me to something, it is going to take some real good convincing to get me to change my mind because I'm stubborn, right? So body fat is the same exact way. If you want to like remove that low belly fat and it's stubborn fat, then you need to be very, very persistent and very, very consistent. And it just takes longer than most of us like to admit. It's honestly the honest to God truth. The only time I have completely removed my low belly fat to a point where it was non-existent is when I got on stage. Because I was extremely consistent for a very long period of time. Period. And I will say this too. Like when I'm in a good place and I'm, I feel good and I'm training hard, I have a little bit of low belly fat. And it's normal. I, my legs are super lean. My arms are cut. My face is lean. Everything, I just have a little bit on my low belly. And I, I'm personally totally fine with that because I know hormonally, calorically, performance-wise, I'm in a good place. And that's normal. So sometimes it's not normal to completely shred your body. But if you want to get there, you just need to be very, very consistent. The other time I see low belly, belly fat sticking and just not going away, which is usually in men but sometimes in women. Um, and if it's in women, it will be in their hips a little bit too, which can kind of go both ways. Some women like it being a little bit thicker and having more body fat in their hips and some don't. Um, but usually – the hips will, will be the last place for women. Um, but sometimes it's a little stomach too. But for guys especially, is hormonal. Cortisol is through the roof. Um, estrogen, testosterone balance might be off. Um, just stress hormones again in general. Um, metabolic hormones, thyroid, like all these different things going on. But essentially hormonally, you might just be a little bit off. Your body might be a little bit stressed and you just might be out of, a little out of whack. That happens a lot when um, low belly fat's there. So if you get really lean and you notice that that low belly fat just will not go, it could be hormonal. What you might need to do, and this is actually one of the best things about reverse dieting, is you might need to go into a reverse diet. Just like looking – obviously not if your calories are not super low, but go into a reverse diet, restore your metabolism, restore your hormonal profile um, balance, and just get that where it needs to be and then – attack the fat loss goal again in a very slow and patient form so you don't have to go into a crazy low deficit and hurt yourself. Um, and now, I mean, if we speak to bodybuilders, there is a time and a place for a very low deficit, but it's a gradual process to get there. There's refeeds and diet breaks along the way. So that's a big piece too. And, and that's why like a lot of bodybuilders can get that lean and they don't suffer from these horrible hormonal shifts and then rebounds is because they take 24 weeks to get there and they have diet breaks for a full week, diet breaks for a weekend, refeeds every week. They have these things spread out across the time to keep their metabolic capacity, their hormonal capacity at a certain like bare minimum 
throughout the process so they don't crash their hormones uh, while they get really lean. Now, there's also a lot of bodybuilders that do mess up hormones along the way. So I hope that answers your question. But basically, it's, um, it's definitely it depends answer. But usually, it's either consistency or it is hormonal. Fit. I always, I'm sorry, um, I love her too because we talk, uh, we message sometimes, um, and she's a really good trainer. She is over in Dubai. I can't remember where you told me you were, but Fit Dalia Lamarini. <laughs> it's, it's a long name. Um, she said, so she asked a previous question that I actually didn't get to, so I apologize for that. She said, hi, Cody. I don't know if you read my last message, but I'd love to talk a little bit. I'd love you to talk a little bit about organization and how to manage the client info, biofeedback, monthly assessment, dot, dot, dot. How to save all the info in a practical way. Thank you. So here's my advice on this. Do not overcomplicate it. Do not overthink it. And I have a mentor client who I've had this conversation with a couple times already. And if you're listening to this, you know who you are. But if we overcomplicate it and, and just make shit just more confusing for not only myself but for the client, it's not going to work. It's just going to overwhelm them. Like most clients do not want to fill out eight different forms every single week, log into an app, do all these different things. So we're already asking them of enough. So what I don't suggest is having them track on my fitness pal, having them do their workouts on Trainerize, having them check off these things on an Excel sheet and then enter it into a Google Docs for you and then turn in a separate sheet for their weekly update and then make sure if they want to email you, they fill out this hot seat form. Like some people have so much shit going on that it's like just for me and you to communicate and just decide where I'm at, it's like I got to go through hoops. Like that's not how a coaching relationship should be. It should be simple, stress-free, and easy on the clientele. So – what I recommend is just trying to dumb things down as much as possible. Make sure they have a way to update you every single week with an assessment or whatever. If you want to do that in Google Docs, great. If you want to do it on just email to email, great. If you want to save it and they can do whatever with it, great. Right? Like You need to determine what's best for you. There is no systems. There is no hacks. There is no – like. I, in my mentorship, that's not like I give advice on this stuff, but it's not like the bulk of it. Like I don't spend my time showing them how to save a Google Doc the most optimal way. Like I want to show them how to tap into a new side of their brain. I want them to get to a new type of productivity. I want them to be happier. I want them to be more fulfilled. I want them to be more motivated. I want them to have answers on nutrition coaching and program design so their clients get better results, right? So for this question, my advice is like keep it simple, right? Make sure your Google calendars is dialed in. Make sure you have some kind of weekly assessment that covers everything so they don't have to go to multiple places. I'm a big fan of having one form that covers everything they need to know. Don't have them tracking in multiple things every single day. It is overwhelming and people do not have time for that in most cases in my opinion. Now, there is some people who can type in an Excel or Google Doc and do MyFitnessPal and do their weekly updates and send the email through this and that. I get it, and that's fine. The more metrics, sometimes better depending on the person. But for the, for the people I've worked with and from who I've talked to and from having my own coach and experiencing that, the simpler the better. I know like I am very, <laughs> very uncompliant with filling out more than one form. My coach knows this. I don't like doing the – and I'm just going to be honest with you see if she's listening to this. I don't like to do the Google Docs every day, right? There's like a Google Docs tracker thing, and I got to do my fitness pal. I don't like doing that. It's too much, right? Um, and I got to – like I'm doing a training program, so I got to track my training too, and I got to log in my weights. Like 
it's just too much, right? I don't got time for all that. So I think if you can make it very, very simple on an individual, the better. Now, if you have a very logical and analytic person that wants these numbers at a frequent basis, like I have a person um, that is uh, in the tech world of Amazon who loves numbers. So, dude, we're tracking his sleep every day. We're tracking his calories every day. He's updating me with his calories every day. He's weighing in every day. He has like stats on his on <laughs> where he's going. We have a Google tracking system to look at his biofeedback every morning so he can rate his sleep, motivation, drive. Like there's a time and place for that. But I had to read him as a person and decide like is this going to work for him and is he going to be consistent with it? And the answer was yes. So just be careful with what you do and how much you throw at an individual and just kind of put yourself in the, your own shoes. Like how much, how much do you want to do? Like would you want to take pictures, fill out my fitness pal, fill out a Google tracker, uh, fill out trainerize? Like there's a lot of shit going on now. So just don't overcomplicate it. Don't overthink it. More is not better. Simple and more effective is better. More chai please from Instagram or chia. I always say chai. I think it's chia. C-H-I-A has to be chia. Chai is C-H-A-I. Horrible at reading and writing and spelling and all that shit. Sorry, guys. More Chia, please. Same style of workouts are getting harder. Same style of workouts are getting harder. Stalling in speed slash endurance slash pushing weights. I'm feeling better than a few weeks back, but I'm eating same as then. So should I increase carbs again? Carbs? Oh, should I increase calories again? Sorry. Carbs? Sorry for the... Oh, okay. That's another thing. She said, sorry for so many questions. Your content has helped me more than anything and my trust continues to grow. Seriously, think about working with you soon. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, And you have really good questions. Um, And I'm sorry I can't always answer all of them because she does send a lot. But they are really, really good questions. And I I definitely responded back to her on this one because we were going back and forth a little bit. Um, And I wanted to do this one because I think a lot of people go through this. So basically, she's not changing her training but everything is stalling. Every, nothing is improving. Um, and she's, they're getting harder. So she's feeling better than she was a few weeks back, which I remember her messaging me. And she was needing to increase calories because her biofeedback was horrible. And she wasn't listening to her body. And she was afraid to add calories and gain weight. And my suggestion was to just trust biofeedback, trust your strength gains, and just focus on adding calories and feeling better. And that would be my recommendation right here. If you, if you are feeling better than a few weeks ago, quote unquote, few weeks, it just isn't enough, right? How long were you under eating? Probably six plus months. Then you're probably going to need to reverse diet for at least three, right? Like there's, there's reverse diets are not quick guys. Like it does take time and it takes time because you have to slowly let your hormones readjust, resynthesize and just now other people, like certain people, it'll go faster than others, obviously, but it, it depends a lot on your training history, your nutrition history. Um, so my suggestion to you is, yeah, I would probably bump your carbs up depending on where they're at. I mean, it depends where your fat's at too. Um, I don't like, to be honest with you, anybody under 50 grams of fat, really, I don't care how small you are either. Like I have women that are 110 pounds and I still don't like to get them under that if I don't have to. And now sometimes you go, you you will drop calories if they have a photo shoot or a, uh, a competition or something like that, obviously. But if you can keep your fat up, it's going to help you neurologically and hormonally. It's going to help your mood. It's going to help... Uh, your cravings, it's going to help your satiety. So I definitely would, wouldn't suggest only carbs, but you're probably going to need to bring calories up um, 
a little bit regardless. And if you're trying to enhance performance or muscle growth, then probably carbs are going to be your best bet. Um, but I would also say like, what does your training look like, right? If you're completely stalled in your training, have you been doing the same training for a long period of time? Maybe you just need a new stimulus. Maybe you need a new variation. Maybe your accessory work isn't building your compounds up. Um, maybe you have a sticking point that you need to address. So for example, if you can't get past the lockout in a um, in a bench press, then you probably need to work on your triceps because that's what's going to help you lock out, right? If you can't get off your chest in a bench press at the very bottom, you're probably going to need to work on uh, the chest, the pecs. So there's certain things that you can dial in in your training. You can look at and you can add variations, whether that's chains on the uh, barbell while you bench or you're doing tricep pushdowns. Right. There's little tiny exercises you can add in to increase your training and your strength. So it could be your training, but it could be your calories. I really don't know until I get a more detailed look at what you're actually doing and who you are. Um, but in most cases, like if you're not if you're not progressing in your training, then you're either under eating because well, I shouldn't even say under eating. You're either under recovering or you're just training isn't isn't varying enough. It's not changing enough. <laughs> I didn't even realize this guy's Instagram name before I read the question. Um, all right, so from Instagram, white boy 97 because he's got white B-O-I-I. Oh, that's hilarious. So I have school at 745, but I eat my breakfast on my way. A cup of oatmeal with milk, brown sugar, and cinnamon. Should I eat another snack right before my workout at 945? If so, what would be a good snack to fuel my body? So... If he so he's basically um, and I think I responded to this. I said you eat at seven forty five and you train at nine forty five. He said yes. That's two hours. That's plenty of time. Like let's be real, guys. Like first of all, oatmeal is a slow digesting carb. It's not going to be in your system in less than an hour and a half. So if you're training within ninety to one hundred twenty minutes, so an hour and a half to two hours after you eat a meal, that's honestly ideal for for a pre workout meal. I think that's perfect. So I wouldn't change a thing. I would probably add more protein. Um, unless you're drinking a ton of milk, you're probably not getting enough protein in there. And I would like to see at least 25 grams, but upward of 45 grams with that meal. Plus, that'll also slow the digestion down of that meal, and it'll allow you to utilize that fuel better two hours later when you're training. And it'll be more sustainable throughout that workout because fats and proteins will slow down the digestion of carbohydrates. Um, so I would literally just add some protein. Maybe so instead of milk or with the milk, maybe you add some protein powder with it. Um, very, very simple. Now – what I would say too is your your meal the night before is going to play just as big of a contribution to that workout as the meal right before. The meal right before is going to help, depending on your neurological type, it's going to help your dopamine, your serotonin levels balance out the right way because so certain people are higher in dopamine or they're higher in serotonin or they're higher in GABA, all these chemicals in our body and these hormones going on. Well, if, if we don't optimize those by either A, not having carbs before our workout, B, having carbs before our workout, training fasted, um, timing our workout meals, those things can actually play a big role in how you go forward. Now, the only way to really know what kind of neurological profile you are is to take a test like the Braverman's test, and then you can kind of decide what's best for you. I recommend looking into Christian Thibodeau's work. Uh, Thibarmy.com is really good because he goes in depth. He's one of the ones, him and uh, Charles Poliquin really dove into the neurological profiles as far as how we should train, how we should eat around training, so on and so forth. So whether or not you need carbs for your workout is completely depending on the individual, but I will say that just about anybody will train better in the morning, whether you train at 7 a.m. or 9 a.m., 
you will train better if you have a good meal the night before, which is always going to be a meal that has carbohydrates and protein in it because that's what's going to allow you to recover overnight, um, stimulate your hormones overnight, and then obviously give you glycogen that allows you to train harder the next day. So I would suggest to you, man, is like get a good meal the night before, sweet potatoes, steak, like some good protein, good carbs. That's going to be your main fuel for the workout in the morning. The workout, the meal right before, if you feel good on carbs, is really just going to give you the right serotonin GABA or dopamine release needed to put you in the right mindset in the right um, – I guess, yeah, mindset and just the right fuel source to really get your nervous system primed to train right then because it's more of a neurological effect, I believe. Um, and some people just like it's, – it's purely – it's just purely individual. Some people just like to train with carbs in their stomach. I am a person who loves to train with carbs in my stomach. Um, I train at 3, 3.30 now um, that we have the baby and I watch her in the morning. So for me, I mean I have – two full meals with with a good amount of carbs before I train. But even when I trained in the morning, I woke up and I ate at 6 a.m. and I had carbs because I knew I was training at 8, 30, 9 o'clock and I wanted a good carb meal before I trained. That was just neurologically what worked. Um, mentally, that's what helped me out. Um, it just kind of pushed me to, to, to just be better. So I would say like if you feel good on that, I think that's perfect. Um, if you – if you don't, then don't be afraid not to have any carbs. Just have some protein and fats, you know what I mean? But your, your meal the night before. And I would highly suggest you guys check out Thib Army for that information on the neurological profiling. Also, very soon, um, I usually don't announce guests, but I'm recording this on the 25th. Tomorrow, I'm getting on a call with Christian Thibodeau, and we are doing an interview for my podcast, and we are going to be covering the neurological profiling. So you guys will learn all about this stuff very, very soon when that releases. That is going to be an unbelievable podcast. I'm super excited to have him on. All right, last question from Courtney Sturgeon. Okay, so she, I believe, listened to um, – this is an older question. Not super old, but she said, listen to the latest podcast. It was fire. Just shared it with all my clients. Question, 150-pound woman eating 60 to 70 grams of protein a day but needs 135 to 50, 150 grams a day. How slowly do you increase their protein intake? Or can you, or can people typically increase protein at a faster rate than, say, carbs or fat and not have to worry so much about gaining weight? I know everyone is different, but what if they start using a handful portion guide and eating protein at every meal like I recommend and immediately get in, say, 110 grams? Is that too much too fast? So really, really good question. Um, but the way I look at this is, I mean – Honestly, I've bumped people straight from straight up, like literally added 70 to 80 grams immediately to their diet and there hasn't been zero fat gain. Maybe a little bit of bloat for a few days um, while just getting used to it and digesting it properly. But very rarely will any will protein ever be stored as body fat. Like it's very, very hard because your body will use protein as other for other things in your body before it will ever store it as body fat. So it's very, very hard. Um, and one thing I pointed out to her was Dr. Uh, Jose Antonio, which is another guest that I'm working on getting on the show, but we might be delayed for a couple months. Um, Dr. Jose Antonio did a two-year-long study where individuals um, ate two grams per pound of body weight. So these guys were eating like 300 grams of, of protein, which is way too much. And it actually pushed them into a caloric surplus compared to the other group. So they were eating more total calories than the other group because they were eating more protein. And the other group was only eating one gram per pound. I believe it was about one gram per pound or maybe less. 
what they found was that the two grams per pound group actually lost more body fat and had zero health issues or signs of any health issues arising. And that was a two-year-long study. So that proves to us that protein in general is not going to add fat. And it makes sense because if you look at the carnivore diet, why do you think they're not gaining fat? All they're eating is protein. I know they're eating too much protein. But now, you're not gonna, they didn't build more muscle in that group either. So it's, it's good merit because one gram per pound is going to build you just as much muscle as three grams per pound or two grams per pound, sorry. Um, so I don't ever promote it being that high. But the big thing there is it just shows us like what the truth is about fat storage via protein. Like it really doesn't happen very likely. Um, so in that case, for somebody who needs to be at 135 to 150 grams but's only consuming 60 to 70, I would absolutely bump it right up to 135 grams a day because we know that's 0.8 grams per pound or whatever it is for her, and we know it's not going to store his body fat. And I tell the individual, and this is what I'm telling you guys too, is like if you are eating half the amount of protein you need, go ahead and bump your macros up. Don't worry about the caloric surplus that it creates. Just bump them right up and just get there as soon as you can. Like if you don't get there overnight and immediately start eating way more protein, that's totally fine. It might take time to get there, but the point is that you're slowly working up to that amount of protein that you actually need to support the type of training and the goals that you have. So um, in other words, to answer your question, Courtney, I don't think it's an issue to bump protein up quite a bit, especially at the beginning. I don't see any reason why it would gain any fat. I've never seen anybody gain fat from too much protein. Um, I've seen people gain fat from too many calories, but usually those cal extra calories are not coming from protein. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.